Doc Rivers continues to time and time again not get it when it comes to getting... Oh! Let him play! You bet one one bone to win 19. I'm just, where, what site do you use where you can actually bet one buck? I, they let you do 50 cent bets. Oh my goodness, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally like he dropped Superman down like the drain comes out. Like, God damn it, Superman. <laughs> I don't know, honey. I don't know where he got that from. From Los Angeles, this is Dave in the City. Part of the Dit Cow Sports Network. Now, here's Dave Medina. Good evening, sports fans, and a pleasure to have you here for the Big Golf Show. Good to have you with us from the Dave in the City studios at the home of champions, Southern California. Uh, We are ready to talk some golf with you tonight. It should be a really fun segment, fun show, because... There's so much juice at the U.S. Open this year. I, I'm very happy about it. I mean, you've had a lot of tournaments where the damn thing was decided, like, either at the start of the final round or about an hour into the final round after the uh, leaders tee off. And this was a little bit different where we had a little more juice this time around. But out of all the juice, John Rahm is the winner of the 2021 U.S. Open. And what a great moment for him as he fights off an embarrassment and uh, several weeks earlier at the memorial when he was ousted from the event due to a co- co- positive COVID test in the middle of the round, they, they boot him from the event. He was killing everybody and he couldn't finish the event because of the, the positive COVID test. He had to enter pro- COVID protocol. I mean, so he was just get, he just had to have been hurting from that. I mean, obviously a huge mistake, but he knew how big of a moment or how embarrassing that was, and he wanted to do everything he could to re- rebound it from it. So I had a feeling that he was going to have a big day, or he was going to have a big weekend once the U.S. Open came around. I will say, I mean, I don't often get to toot my own horn like this, but I remember on the last uh, golf recap, I mentioned that I felt really good about either Rom or Xander Shoffley winning a major before the end of the year. And I think that was, yeah, I think I said that during the PGA recap. Might have been the Masters, but either way, the moment has arrived, and Rom is here, and he's won a U.S. Open. He's the first Spaniard to do so um, in the in the op- in the Open in the U.S. Open um, ever. And uh, I think a lot of people from his home country of España are very proud of him today. And certainly, he's made the big mistake with the COVID situation, getting COVID in the first place. But uh, he certainly owned up to it, at least from my, from what I heard in the post game interviews post-match inter- or post-tournament uh, interviews and from that standpoint I am pretty happy for him you know he's a tough he's a tough player he's a gamer he can make some great shots he made two really good putts to, to finish the to finish the uh the tournament and even though there were there's plenty of golf to be played after the fact it really felt like that was going to be that that was a clincher because those could not could not hold it together in the final three holes so with that in on the table we'll get, let's go ahead and start our U.S. Open recap. I mean, I'm gushing about Rom because I've just felt like he's been so good the entire year and in, in, the, in the, all the years that have been in the last couple of years, really. So he's one of the bright stars in golf. And I, I can forgive his mistake because he was very honest about it, at least from my point of view. I don't know if, if John and Mike agree, but it's a good spot. So um, welcome to the 2021 U.S. Open recap. And and now, let's take a moment to introduce our panel tonight. Andy will not be joining us this evening because he's got the day off and he's enjoying some great golf in his in his area. 
of uh, the Pacific Northwest. So we're happy for him, and hopefully he can tune in and, and check out the, the show with us um, as he enjoys his, his time off. He deserves it, too. I think he's been through a lot at work recently. So let's start with Mike. Mike, welcome back to the show. Certainly a lot to talk about tonight. How's it going tonight? I'm doing well, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on, and I uh, hope things are going well for you, uh, you as well. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I, I think I'd say so. I mean, it's been restless, I'll say, but beyond that, I, I think it's, things have been good, and you know, I, it's, I, I'm happy to have my health, and we got through the worst of it already, as far as my day job is concerned. So everything beyond that, I think it will be gravy. We should have a good summer. Uh, John, we welcome you as well. Welcome back to our golf recap series. How's it going tonight, John? Doing well, Dave. Thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, it was a fun tournament, and um, glad to be here to break it all down. That sounds awesome, fellas. I, I'm i just happy to be here, to be able to talk some golf with you guys. Um, this tournament deserves a good podcast, so I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to hold my end of the, bar, of the deal. Um, a lot of juice. As I was saying at the top, we're so used to tournaments where the thing is decided like halfway through the day here we had some real real juice and i think we had so many great players at the top for a while we even had rory making a run trying to close in on everybody else um it was a really fun time certainly the last three or four holes it fell apart for a lot of folks but you got to give it to rom for just shooting so well on that final round i just had a feeling i think he was like one under to begin the the round oosthazen was minus five under um and I think there's one other guy. I think it was Mackenzie Hughes, who was also five under. So they were in the final pairing. I mean, Hughes had that just horrible hole. Anyway, rather than rambling about it, I want to give it to you first, Mike, and talk about what Rom did to win this tournament. I mean, he is a great player and he can be a hothead, but I, I think that this is quite a moment for him. I, I think he just had his, he, he and his wife just had their first child. Only a few weeks ago, then you had the drama with and the utter embarrassment of the COVID test that kicked him out of a tournament, which he was leading handily. Comes out of that, vows himself to play better. He does, and then in that on that final round, he just had a masterful performance. Two putts, as I mentioned in the beginning, is really quite a journey. Um, and I'm just curious as to what you think of this entire of the perspective of him winning a tournament here at a place he absolutely loves. Tory Pines, which has been like almost a home away from home for him, uh, Mike. And so I apologize for for being so for rambling so much about this, but I just think it was a guy that, to be honest with you, I was kind of rooting for. I, I just wanted it to happen for him, despite the big mistake he made a few weeks ago. So, Mike, I mean, it certainly was an incredible day and a lot of good golf. Uh, what? Well, <laughs> then you had that thirty minute stretch where it wasn't good golf, but beyond that, this is a good tournament. I'm going to get your thoughts on Rom's moment. Well, there's a few different angles to look at here. To start off, though, I will push back a little bit on how you have framed uh, the positive COVID test, because I, I, I agreed with you until I heard uh, some news about that, which was that Rom had gotten one of the uh, either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, the two shot deal, and he had gotten the second shot. 
but it hadn't been two weeks yet. So you're still, you can still possibly contract it. So he wasn't being a complete brick and being like, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Uh, the government's not going to track my DNA or whatever the hell the people who don't want to get the vaccine think. So he had done his job to get the vaccine. Now, I don't know how long exactly it's been since they had gotten full clearance to get it. I'm not sure on that, but it, it did seem like he was at least making an attempt to get vaccinated in a reasonable amount of time. And he just caught some bad luck. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards he came out and said, look, you know, I, I have been vaccinated. I think it's important that people should get vaccinated, which is, uh, not what most PGA Tour players who were, I, I should remember this, but I remember a couple of them were quoted about it and they basically were like, well, it's a personal decision, blah, blah, blah. And the second you hear that line, you know, it means I haven't been vaccinated. So Rom, um, <laughs> even though at the time I was definitely like, well, he's an idiot. He should have gotten the vaccine. It turns out he had gotten the oh, vaccine. Wow. So that was just purely bad luck on his part. <clears throat> I guess the next thing to talk about with him would be um actually where do i want to go with this i guess we'll talk about his attitude rom is a guy who obviously would show his emotion on the course he was someone who and he references said that he almost thought that he needed to be angry to win and when I saw that he had gotten married and had a kid on the way, I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, you know, th this guy, he doesn't seem to have his own emotions quite uh, in check yet. Is he really ready for this? But it seems like that having a kid, being married, settling down is sort of forced a bit of a change on him and made him grow up uh, earlier than he otherwise might have. He talked about, hey, look, I have to be a role model for my son. Uh, there's been times on the golf course where I've let my emotions get the best of me. And, it, you know, it's not going to be perfect from here on out, but I want to be better for him. So he seemed to he seems to have a stronger calling than he otherwise would have trying to keep his emotions in check. And that would help with the golf. I guess where to go with this next is if you look at Rom's progression, he was a guy who he, he sort of he was sort of building towards this. Although I, I know myself personally, I was starting to get a little bit impatient. He came onto the tour and he was just he was one of the more polished players coming straight from college to professional golf that I remember in quite some time. He turned pro midway through 2016. He um I remember he contended at whatever the tournament was at Congressional, fell a little bit short. And then, you know, he comes out his first full year. He wins three professional events. He wins the Farmers, he wins the Irish Open, and he wins the DP World Championship, which is the European Tour Championship. And then he kind of, for the next couple of years after that, he sort of maintains that level. He wins a career builder challenge, a Spanish Open, uh, the Zurich Classic, which is a team event, but then he wins three individual events on the European Tour. And then last year was kind of big because he won some uh, bigger events, which was the Memorial, which that's almost like a, a stepping stone to winning a major. You know, you see, if you can win at um, Muirfield Village, I think you're 
sort of showing that you have the game to contend at, at a major championship. And then he wins the BMW with that uh, 66 foot putt to beat Dustin Johnson in the yeah. playoff. So he was sort of building towards this. Uh, he was starting to win more marquee events. Now to talk about what happened on that Sunday and what about his game is really set up for a U.S. Open. Rom is interesting in that if you look at how he generates his power, it's in a sense, it's unique. His swing speed isn't all that high in terms of what his club head speed can be as compared to how far he hits the ball. He really hits the ball far because he just optimizes his launch probably better than anyone else in golf. But that has an advantage. That advantage is, is that if your swing speed is actually a little bit slower, your dispersion is probably going to be a little bit less. As a result, Rom is one of the more accurate and more controlled bigger hitters out there. So when you're asked to take on a place like Torrey Pines, that's going to do very well. Uh, that's going to serve you very well, I should say. And um, he, he was definitely, his game just generally was suited for this place. But really, here was the key stretch. Now, everyone's going to remember he made two great putts on 17 and 18, which uh, I'll let John get to that. But here's really the stretch that was pivotal for this tournament. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more. If you look at holes 11 through 13, Rom played those holes at even par, and he made no bogeys. Well, here's what some of the other contenders did. Oosthuizen was one over. Morikawa was two over. Rory was two over. Henley was one over. Mackenzie Hughes was three over. DeChambeau, in one of the more enjoyable nine holes of golf <laughs> I, I can remember seeing, was four over. He was bad. <laughs> Paul Casey was two over. Oh, we, we have to get to him because he just oh said God. some things that were, but we'll get <laughs> to that. He was spectacular. Paul Casey was two over. <laughs> Matthew Wolf was two over. <laughs> so the entire field basically was giving away shots, making double bogeys, and Rom got through that stretch. That was the key right there because, you know, he started off a little bit behind. You know, Oosthuizen got out to that two-shot lead, and then he gave one back. And just that that whole that, that, that whole group was a, fell back, that whole pack of contenders, and Rom didn't. That made it – it started to make it into almost a two-horse race. That gave him the separation he needed. So he just really limited the mistakes, which is what you have to do at a U.S. Open. And um, he got through the tough stretch the way he needed to while the rest of the field faltered. And then, you know, he got his opportunity. And with kind of in line with what we've seen from his career before, he made some clutch uh, mid-length to lawn birdie putts. So it's just something he has a knack for doing. So just consistency through the tough stretch and then being a little bit opportunistic uh, late in the round. It's uh, something we know John Rahm can do, and it's what won him a U.S. Open um, on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, steadiness and just make avoiding the big mistake is big. And you know what's interesting about that, Mike? On three, when he hit the ball off the green, it was like it looked like it was in the big old hole in in a in the roughest of rough. It almost looked like it was in a ditch, and he got out of that and saved a par. I really thought that good things were going to happen after that point. I mean, did you notice like that being a big moment as well early in the round? 
Dave, I think we're having some connection issues. Uh, okay. Yeah, we definitely are. I'm not sure. Am I? John, are you able to hear me at all? Let me get you unmuted for a sec. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let me just go ahead and pass it to John, Mike. Sorry about that. Uh, but but John, in commenting on three, did you feel similarly about about his ability to save par on the third hole? And uh, we'll give it to you for other thoughts on John Rom. Yeah, I mean, what a uh, crazy final round. I think there was one point uh, right before all that carnage started on the back nine, you had like the best five players in the world were in the top five on the leaderboard. It was just insane. And then one by one, well, I, I guess you wouldn't say Louis is one of the best five players in the world, but you know what I mean. Like you had Rom was there, Shambo, McElroy, um, Dustin Johnson was there for a minute, Morikawa was there, like. Uh, Shoffley had his moments like all these guys were literally right there with a chance to make some hay on the back nine and they all fell apart except for Rom and Oosthuizen to some degree he kind of did obviously on the 17th with his tee shot but um, for the most part he, he hung in there very well as, as you would expect him to um, I it was funny like I said to my dad at the start of the round I said I wish I could place a bet right now on Louis Oosthuizen finishing second because that's just what he does in this and sure enough <laughs> that's what happened yeah. I, there probably wasn't that out, out there like that on some of those sports books I, I didn't bother to look but um, but but yeah that, that was the key stretch like once the all week the back nine at Torrey Pines was, was like at least two or three shots harder I would say with even without even looking it up I would have to get the exact numbers but I, I'm pretty sure it was two or three shots harder than the front nine. Um, they allowed you to get out to some decent scores. There were some, some scoreable holes on the front. And then you just held on for dear life on the back nine, except for 18, which was a birdie hole. But, um, yeah, just guy after guy just making uncharacteristic mistakes. Uh, Rory had that horrible line, the bunker on 12, it led to a double bogey. Um, DeChambeau and his misadventures starting on the 11th through the 13th. And then um, – you know, the, the, that par five was just brutal at the 13th hole. If you didn't put it in the fairway, if your layup shot was in the rough, like you had basically no chance uh, to do anything. He made a double there. Um, Morikawa made a double there. Um, I'd have to see some of the other contenders. And I know some of them, other ones that didn't play that, play them well, uh, play that hole well. Um, Casey got to like three under or four under, then immediately gave three shots back on the back nine. Um, you know, Shoffley really didn't threaten. He, he made a couple mistakes, um, just just couldn't get anything going on the back nine. Uh, 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 who else here? I mean, it, Dustin Johnson, as soon as he got in contention, just completely ejected. So, and and, and Ron was just steady. Like, he, he, he got up and down when he needed to. Uh, you know, when these guys were all making mistakes, he played a solid game and then capitalized on um, – on the last two holes and made those putts for birdies and the 18 too. I mean, I was sitting there, uh, Brooks Kepka has got to be kind of killing himself. He gets to four under after the 15th. He is one guy who played that stretch pretty well. Um, he played the 10 through 13 and even par he birdies 15. So he's four under coming to the 16th and 16 through 18 are not as, as well as I said, 18th that par five, which everyone has been getting 16 to 18 are definitely not as difficult as 10 through 15. And he puts it in the bunker on 16, can't get up and down. We were thinking, all right, he's going to par 17. He'll definitely birdie 18 and get in at four under, and we'll see what happens. 
but he completely butchers 18 and makes a bogey. And that was the end of his chances. And I really thought he could have won it at minus four and ended up not being, not being the case, but I mean, um, disappointing from him. So, so again, just basically everybody, all those big names fell apart except for Rom and Oosthuizen. And then Oosthuizen made the one mistake on 17 with his tee shot and, uh, and Rom gets the victory. And, Really, when you look at his game, he doesn't have a weakness. I, I'd say his one weakness is his putter, but he's got this new putter in the bag, which I believe he debuted at the Memorial. I could be wrong about that, but I know he's working on a new putter, and he, he was draining everything that week. Um, you know, you don't get out to a six-shot lead over, you know, PGA Tour pros unless you're making some putts, but I, just his entire game was just so on point that week. And um, continue this one, he's, he's just so solid. There's just really no weakness in his game if he's putting well because he's has that controlled ball flight off the tee, like Mike was talking about. He's precise with his irons. He's got an amazing short game. And he can, when he's putting like this, like he's he's right up there with, like if Dustin Johnson and John Rahm bring their A game, like they're probably the best two players in, in the world at the moment. And we haven't seen that from Dustin probably since the Masters last year. But uh, I think we said this during, after that Masters, like Rahm is one of the players, like if he brings his A game, like he's, he's one of the best, or if not the best. Um, and he proved it this weekend and, you know, it just, just goes to show you, I mean, the U S open, it's kind of the last, last man standing, um, uh, you know, so kudos to him and definitely kind of a, a good karma situation for him after what happened to the, at the Memorial, which was certainly unfortunate, but, you know, got to, got to follow the, the protocols and the rules and they all, all agree to it. And you know, it's unfortunate, but, um, he certainly redeemed it, redeemed himself in a huge way. Uh, at this tournament and um you know it was it was a it was a great final round for him yeah and i i completely agree with all that and and to follow up on what mike was saying about rom in um earlier in the segment um he was a good sport about all of that and it takes a lot to be a good sport in that scenario it's not the easiest thing to do but um he made the most of it and now he's redeemed himself in a big way with this with this major victory his, and as far as I know, it's his first. I don't think he's won a major before before this particular event. So it's a pretty awesome spot. So let's now get into the rest of the field. And we have a lot to talk about with the other players in this in this tournament. Bruce Tyson did a pretty well, very well for himself. I mean, despite the, the issue with, at 17, I mean, that was just tough. Like, there literally was no way he could come out of that. It was just, you felt kind of bad for him in 18 2, where it's like, well, he pretty much had. <laughs> Had to hole it from like 200 yards in order to to have any kind of chance, basically to tie where Rom was at the time. I love what John said about Kepka because you know he just made that crucial mistake, and if he had just been able to play almost even golf in the last four holes, he could, he could at least have been tied. Maybe I mean four under. I think it would have put some pressure on Rom a little bit, so that definitely had an impact as far as I was concerned. So. Um, I like that Rory made a run. I like that uh, Morikawa made a run too because we hadn't heard from him in a few tournaments. So it was, it's really cool overall. Mike, let's get your thoughts in the field. I know quite a few guys to cover here in the segment. So uh, what were you thinking as far as the rest of the players in, in this on the leaderboard? I, I guess I'll just start with uh, DeChambeau. Let's not build it up anymore. Let's just get to it. <laughs> um <clears throat> You know, I, I was about ready to give him credit because if you look at how he played on Saturday, it was like on every damn hole, 
he had makeable birdie putts. It was just, you, you'd go, they chose shots. So, oh, here we go. DeChambeau for birdie on 12. DeChambeau for birdie on 13. And he was a little bit off with the putting. Otherwise, he would have had a ridiculous round on Saturday. He played extremely well. Um, Then I actually saw him have a very good interaction with a couple fans. He took time to take pictures with them. They were standing right out on the rope line. And he seemed like, I I mean, look, I I think it was probably BS and he was doing it for appearances, but he did take the time to at least give them a smile and make it seem like he was interested to meet them. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's good. And then along came yesterday. And at one point on the front nine, I think on eight, nine, he was five under and he had the lead. And I remember just thinking, oh, no, we cannot let this guy win two U.S. Opens in a row. This the how insufferable it would be would be amazing. And then he has one of the worst back nines you will ever see a professional golfer play. He shot 44 on the back nine. I played golf on Sunday. I shot 42 on my back nine. But but in the media center after the round, DeChambeau said, oh, no, the rails didn't come off at all. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I, I could have easily been seven or eight under today. I didn't play that badly. You know, I've played worse than that in one golf tournament. And then he just kept... He kept saying all these lines with, well, people think this and people think that. Well, you know what I think? I think he's an idiot who pretends to be a smart guy because no smart person would possibly go into a media center after shooting a 44 on the back nine when they had the lead in the U.S. Open and say, I didn't uh, get off the rails. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. A professional golfer at any level, PGA a touring golfer, PGA Tour, Corn Ferry, the Sunshine Tour, which is the South African Development Tour. You'd be hard-pressed to have a decent player on any one of those tours come up and shoot a 44 over nine holes of golf. I mean, it, Brandel Chambly loves this guy. We should maybe talk about Brandel Chambly because he went from having a lot of good takes. Now, every take Chambly has is absolutely horrific. But that's another topic for something else. You know, Chambly says, you know, I, I don't like this. I don't like this whole uh, um, Kepka picking on him. You know what it is? It, it's people picking on him because he thinks differently. People don't pick on him because he thinks differently. People pick on this guy because he's a petulant douchebag. I mean, did, did you guys see what he did earlier in, in the tournament where he was launching balls intentionally into the gallery, knowing, well, if I miss, I want to miss where the gallery's standing because they'll trample down the lie and they'll knock it down. He was launching balls at people on purpose and not yelling for. He should have gotten a penalty stroke for that. That's ridiculous. So the guy is just so tough to take. And then we can get to the whole how he put on 50 pounds in about four months, which, look, it's pure speculation. But, you know, I've said enough. Anyone who listens to this, he's put on 50 pounds in four months. You figure out how he did that. I'm not saying he's doing anything, but there you go. So, but just to, you know... he just talks to everyone like he thinks everyone's an idiot and he expects people to believe he he uses nonsensical terms to describe things all the time where he'll use a big word. And then if you go look up what the word is, it actually has no application to what he's talking about or a limited application. So 
he uses sentences that grammatically do not make sense, words that do not define what he's trying to say, and he just does it to try to seem smart. At some point, this becomes idiotic. I've met a lot of smart people in my life. I have never, ever, 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 ever met a smart person who is so insistent on telling you how smart he is as much as DeChambeau is. The guy is <laughs> impossible to take. So you know what? This is karma. He wants to run around with, uh, you know, no, I won't even bring that up. He, he ran around with the son of a very notable political figure after he won the uh U.S. Open. I won't get into who that is, but he did that. And you know what? He's just the toughest guy to take that there possibly is. And you know what? I I, I couldn't have been more happy to see him uh, shoot a 44 on the back nine and absolutely implode trying to win two consecutive U.S. Opens. I, I guess I'll give it to John to get into some other guys. <laughs> had it with him. That was great to see. It was great to see. So that's a nice drop, Mike. Mike drop right there, Mike. So uh, John, to you for the rest of the field. Yeah, and not much more to add to that. I agree. He is extremely tough to take. I, I was not rooting for him as well. It's just, I don't know. And I agree. Like he was intentionally launching the ball like dead right on some of those holes. I mean, what he's talking about is true. Like you're not gonna. The farther right you go, you're going to get a better lie because the gallery's trampling, trampling down the rough. But so he like he he picked up his tee like he was hitting it in the middle of the fairway. He's hitting it in the in the gallery like that's exactly where he wanted to hit it. So I, I don't know. He, yeah, he, he is just he's just very very tough to take. I honestly think he just didn't give a shit at that point. Like after 13, where he he knew he couldn't win, like he just packed it in at that point and. You know, 17, he made an eight or a nine or whatever. It, was. Hey, it helped me win my bet. I took Scotty Scheffler over him for the fourth <laughs> round. That, that cash, so I was glad about that one. But, um, yeah, definitely, definitely tough to take. And he was playing great, too. Like, you know, I was I was like, oh, shit, here we go again. Like, after he hits it to, like, an inch on the eighth hole and he's ready, he's, like, all firing on all cylinders, hitting the turn, and then it just it just all fell apart on him, um, you know, after 13. And he, he was just done, but – yeah, def- definitely a tough, uh, tough scene there with Bryson. Um, I mean, I mentioned some of the other guys when I was talking about how they all kind of fell apart, but um, I don't know. I mean, how about, uh, you know, let's talk a little about Louis Oosthuizen. This is his fifth time finishing second place in a major since his win at the Open in 2010. I mean, you got to give the guy credit, and he just shows up at these big events, and I wouldn't say he lost it. Like, I mean, he had that one bad shot in 17 that ultimately cost him in the end. But, like, if you said to him beforehand, like, I'm going to let – I'll give you an even par round before the round starts. He would have taken that all day. And many times it probably would have been good enough to win. So, just some bad luck for him. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, he's young enough where he probably will get some more chances. I mean, he clearly is has a is just an amazing putter right now and um, just grinds it out with the best of them. So, you know, he'll be in the mix again for majors. It just got to wear on you after a while, just kind of just constantly just getting a second place finish or just in the top five. Um, he, he's kind of like a better version of Tony Finau, except Louis actually won a lot of tournaments. You know, Tony Finau hasn't won anything. Well, he won the Puerto Rico Open one year. But um, and sa- same thing with, with Shoffley, like, there's something just just something kind of missing with with him i mean he's a again he's a very very good all-around player there's not a weakness in his game 
but he just can't seem to like put it together to get near the top of the leaderboard. He's always hanging around there, like in the top five, top 10, like those are great bets on him every week. Like top 10 on Xander Shoffley, it's easy money, but he just, for whatever reason, he just doesn't seem to, to, I don't know if it's like a killer instinct kind of thing, or I don't know. He he just can't put a, put it away or can't get the job done when it, when it, it's crunch time and, and get up there and, and get the win. So we'll see if, if he can, um, turn that around uh, going forward. Um, yeah, it was kind of good to see McElroy in contention again. We haven't seen him really, you know, with a chance to win a major in a long time. Um, but ultimately, you know, as we documented, he, he kind of faded there on the, uh, on that one hole on the 12th hole, just, just killed his chances. But, you know, you, you did like what you saw from him. So maybe we'll, we'll see him in contention again at the open. Um, and he's won that a couple times. So we'll, we'll see if he can, uh, he can get back into to major contention there. Um, I guess the two guys that no one expected to be there. The, uh, it's funny. Like I think I saw one shot of Harris English all week, and it was his putt on 18 for birdie. And legit, like I thought for a second, man, he might win this thing. Like the way things were going, and that was the only shot we saw of him all day. And he finishes tied for third. They showed more shots of this Italian guy, Guido Migliosi. Guido. I, I mean, he was holing shots from everywhere. This dude. I mean, for those that follow the European tour, like he's been, he's been playing very, very well on the European tour. So um, I'm not surprised that he did well. I'm very surprised he finished top four, though. He's a really long hitter. So we'll keep an eye on him. He's actually, because of the top four, um, he's actually in the field of the Travelers this week. So we'll, we'll see how he how he does there. Uh, very similar to how uh, Garrick Higo came over to the States and won and now is, has PGA Tour membership. Maybe uh, if Guido can do the same thing, we'll be seeing a lot more of him. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of all I have for now, I guess. It's just the same old story for a lot of these guys. They just get so close and, um, just a lot more scar tissue building up for, for a bunch of them. Just, they just, just can't get it done in the, in the clutch. And, um, that's the difference between that and Rom. And he just, he was just nails at, at the end of the tournament. Yeah, you're right. I think the way that they respond to tough pressure situations compared to the way Rom has responded to them made me feel like Rom was really... It was really a matter of when rather than if, right? With him, and but with Shoffley, when and the reason I bring up Shoffley is because of the, this. This is like the second tournament, or maybe the third tournament in a row where, you know, he was set up to have a pretty nice, you know, to make a big run. He was only back by four strokes, and he couldn't really push into that top five, or maybe he did anyway. But I'm just, but he, you know what I mean? Like he, he couldn't get near the lead of the uh, leaderboard. So it's a little disappointing to me. I do wonder if this is basically his ceiling at this point. So um, it's it's very interesting. Mike, I can actually give you just a little bit more time to talk about this because there definitely were a lot of storylines going into that final round. And I think John's right. Like we ended up seeing the same scenarios for a lot of these guys. Um, but anything else you want to add? Sure. So um, a couple players there's definitely a mixed bag on one of whom would be Oosthuizen, as John alluded to. Now, in some ways, this is very disappointing. It's uh, and and not to uh, not to be a horseman to John here, but I believe this was now the uh, sixth time he has finished second in a uh, major championship since that Open Championship win. So he's got six seconds, and he also has a third, and two of those are in playoffs. Now, on one hand, you can say, okay. 
he was in the mix late. He made a mistake. That's not good. Um, it's a sense of, well, this guy obviously has a lot of talent, but he has a lot of problems closing when it was really, when it's really gets tight because that, uh, open championship he won, he was up by a million strokes, basically played very well, but no one pressured him. But on the other hand, though, if Louis Oosthuizen had, let's say, won once, won the one major, and then maybe had a couple other times in contention, we wouldn't really remember him much. With how what Louis Oosthuizen has done this year and what he's done since the Open, we're going to remember him as one of the players of this era, even though he hasn't won on the PGA Tour uh, except for that Open Championship. He has a whole bunch of wins on the European Tour. But we're just going to remember him as one of the guys who anytime there was a major championship, he's someone you had to look out to, someone that could be on the leaderboard and someone that could come damn close to winning it in what's been a very, very uh, good era in terms of the depth of the fields out there. So in, in one sense, he's putting himself into the history books. I'm sure he would love to win. A, you know, I, I'm really pulling for him to win one more major in his career because that would sort of validate it. If he's a multiple major winner with the six seconds or however many he finishes up to, it really goes a lot further to validating just how talented the guy is. But he, he does have an issue of getting a little bit tight. Uh, I mean... We saw at that playoff at the uh, Zurich Classic, which that, that tournament, uh, just a quick sidebar, that tournament was really entertaining this year for whatever reason, the team event. But he hit that driver into the water in the playoff there. And then on 17, knowing that, he, okay, he has to get through there with a par or maybe even birdie. You could birdie that hole. And then birdie 18 to tie, he does the one thing you can't do, puts it in the canyon. McElroy, same idea. Um what is very difficult to really put your finger on with McElroy is, you know, you can look at players and you can point to moments where there is some sort of collapse or something happens where you can say, okay, they lost their confidence. But where's that moment with Rory? You want to say it's the 2018 Masters when uh, he was in the last group with Reed and he didn't play well. Okay, but the thing is, he was three or four behind Patrick Reed going into that round. He would have had to have played very well to, just to have won because Patrick Reed played well that day. So what's weird about what's happened with McElroy is there's no clear moment in the or line to draw in the sand. Okay, this is where he blew up and this is where he lost his confidence and that's why this has happened. Um, so for him to... Be in contention on the back nine, as uh, John alluded to. It was probably the first time since uh, Car yeah, Carnoustie in 2018. He had an outside chance, I know, going into the final round at Pebble in 2019. I, I will say this, though, because I, I did say, uh, you know, there's two sides of the coin here. What has really killed McElroy over these past few years, we know he's always been inconsistent with putting, but he's streaky. All right, so he has to hope to have a good streak. If you look at, like, his irons, his short irons, his wedges, he's been absolutely atrocious with them, just with these big, horrible misses. But if you actually look at how he did this week, um, he was in the top, let's see. I don't know why I just changed it. But anyway... 
he had a good uh, week with strokes gained approach, which is really, if you look at him week by week, what he's doing wrong, it's the strokes gains approach that's killing him. He had a good week with that. So I think he actually had a more strokes gained approach than he did um, strokes gained off the tee, which, you know, if he can start to, yeah, he did 1.11 strokes gained approached. Uh, 0.93 strokes gained off the tee. He was one of the best guys uh, strokes gained tee to uh, green, but did not putt well. So if he starts to get the approach game back in gear, we're going to see McElroy in the mix, uh, which I know all of us want to see. Um, I'll touch on some other guys, Russell Henley. Now that would have been an interesting story because yeah, Russell Henley is a journeyman at this point. Yeah. He had never had a top 10 in a major, but Russell Henley had a lot of hype and a lot of potential when he first came out. He won a, um, then it was the nationwide tour. It's now the corn Ferry tour as an amateur. And then he won, uh, when he turned professional, he won two or three times on the corn Ferry tour, which was either the nationwide or the buy.com uh, in 2012. And then in 2013, he came out and he, uh, played in the Sony open his first uh, PGA tour event as a PGA tour member. And he went out and he blitzed the field by like six or seven shots. And he had the second lowest ever uh, 72 hole stroke uh, total in an event. And then I think in 2014 and 2015, he beat McElroy in a playoff at uh, the Honda classic. So Henley's a guy who, Really, if he had won, yes, it would have been very surprising, but it would have been one of those, you know what, this guy had more talent than he's shown in his career, and that can happen. So, I don't know, it wouldn't shock me, you know, he's 32 now, so he's starting to get up there in age just a little bit. It wouldn't shock me if we see Henley maybe once more in his career be in the mix in a major, because he has more talent than he's shown. I don't know what his deal is, but that's definitely the case. Um I guess we'll quickly talk about Richard Bland because the guy's 48 years old. He goes and he wins a European tour event for his first ever professional win. And it's this really touching scene where he uh, FaceTimes his parents and they're crying. He's crying. And then he just like humbly asks if he could come over for dinner on Tuesday and if his parents could make him roast lamb. So that was a heartwarming moment. Uh, It was nice to see him contend for two days, but he did have. He always had the feeling to me of one of those, uh, those like long shots out of nowhere that you always used to see in the U.S. Open, where they're in it for two days and then they fall apart. You know, I, I didn't expect him to win, but it would have been nice if he could have finished top ten, uh, so he could have come back next year. But that wasn't the case. So, um, anyone else I want to talk to? Matthew Wolf, I guess. Um, he had completely lost his game. And I thought it was a technical thing because he's got that very unorthodox swing. But apparently he was just, uh, you know, having some problems with, I mean, I don't want to label anything, but, you know, just uh, having some problems dealing with life, dealing with the the mental side of things. And that uh, break he took seemed to refresh him. So I guess it was more so that than it was a swing problem. So if that's the case, I think you'll see Matthew Wolf back in contention, which will be good to see. And then, uh, Mackenzie Hughes, that would have been that would have been shocking because he had missed five consecutive cuts 
going into this event. Uh, he's won once, I think, at the RSM Classic. That's a Davis Loves place out in Sea Island, Georgia. So, and, and that's a small scale event. So that would have been very surprising, but uh, he wasn't able to get uh, pulled up on Sunday either. Dave, let me just jump in one second about Mackenzie Hughes. Like, he, I hate to call him a lucky sack of shit, but that's what he was on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's just, I'm not, nothing personal against him. It was just gambling related. Because I bet against him, and like he was holding everything, like fifty footers, <laughs> sixty footers, like he was pulling shots off the green. There was no way that was going to be sustainable on Sunday, and, and obviously it wasn't. He, he fell back, but that's really his game. Like if you watch the PGA Tour from week to week, like he has a better chance of making something from fifty feet than he did from five feet. It's like when he hits it to five feet, oh, it's like oh man, he's too close. He can't make this one. And it, it turned out on Sunday that just. He's just a he is the bizarre player that guy, but uh, <laughs> hey, it just it just what makes the PGA Tour great. You get all these different kind of games that that you know try to contend every single week. But yeah, that's just my quick little note on him. Pretty 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 good fun anecdote actually. I did catch the tail end of that on Saturday's coverage. I was like, man, who's this guy? <laughs> and then Bland too, which I was like, I'd never heard of him, and and I'm glad that Mike broke that down for us. Um, did you guys get a kick out of Mickelson, who, by the way, did absolutely nothing in this tournament, so Dan Hicks is ultimately wrong. However, he still was in the right neighborhood because he won the PGA. But did you get a kick out of him talking up with talking talking with uh, Kelly, John Rom's wife, like uh, as he was doing the practice round, like as he was doing the the um, driving range, you know, as you know, Rom's trying to prepare just in case there's the playoff. But he's just sitting there just chatting up his wife like like an hour. And I just thought that was so bizarre to me because I'm just not used to seeing something like that. But what was the story there? I mean, are they friends? Do they know each other really well? Mike? Well, Dave, Rom went to Arizona State. So oh, okay. just like Mickelson. So they're like, they're pretty close. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I know that. I knew he went to Arizona State. I didn't know Mickelson. Did. Yeah, that, I that's believe, and okay. I believe his brother, Mickelson's brother, was Rom's either golf coach or swing coach at Arizona State. And I believe even caddy for him for a little bit. Um, and I, obviously he, he switched off of that. He caddies now for Phil, but there, there's a, there's a big connection there, but it was just funny. Like if you search the internet, there's, you're, you could definitely find some interesting memes of just the picture <laughs> of Phil sitting there in the lounge chair <laughs> talking to, to, uh, her name's Kelly Rom, right? Yeah. Talking to Kelly. Funny. Yeah. As she's holding the baby and there's just like, you know, caption this and you can, you can imagine where a lot of people, <laughs> Uh, did a lot of different things with that, so if you want a good laugh, try to try to find those out. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm gonna go dig into that for sure. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I was I was figuring something had to be connected for that to happen because I was like, it seemed so random otherwise. So good to know. Um, all right, let's get to the media coverage. And Mike, I have literally nothing to say. I, I first of all, I, I I don't know. NBC just always has something lacking with their coverage, so I don't really have much to say. So I'll just give it to you. Uh, what were your thoughts about the media coverage this this for the U.S. Open? I'll give you a couple things. Um, the way that they entered in the Sunday coverage on NBC was an absolute disgrace. And what they did, of course, is rather than leading with the storylines that you had going into this round, which there were a million of them because there were numerous top players in contention, what did they do? They didn't just give you one of Tiger Woods' putts from 2008. They gave you like a full minute going back to what he did. This was 
15 years ago. He's not playing in the tournament. He's not in contention. He's probably not even watching the tournament. He's probably taken four Percocets and is sipping on a margarita somewhere and is dazed and confused. This is the problem with how they have framed Tiger Woods. They make him bigger than the game and they don't relate his accomplishments within the game of golf it's like well he did things just because he's tiger woods no he did things because he could do this with a driver this with an iron that that's never how they covered him why are you doing that where, where are we go he's 45 years old i know he won a major a couple of years ago but he's coming off he, he had a back surgery before this accident and now god knows what's wrong with his leg he's not going to be an entity much longer w what's their end game here what they've done is they've built up this generation of people who will never, ever, ever, ever watch golf again unless Tiger Woods is somehow involved. Now, there's an expiration date on that, and it's quickly approaching. So, listen, was that obviously a historic event? Yes, it was. Should it have, should it have been referenced? Absolutely. But why you would show a like a minute long extended montage of it leading into Sunday when you had all these all these storylines going on is beyond me. It's just it's such overkill. I don't know why they did that. Now that being said, except for Saturday where they just they started like they must have shown his eagles like eight or nine times on Saturday at one point. Up until then, it had been pretty reasonable. They weren't just every two seconds showing a highlight of his. So I don't know why they would do that going into Saturday. You're not, you're just, anything you do, if you do, if you frame it that way is you're trying to like lessen the moment. So I don't know why they're doing that. I don't know what they get out of it at this point. It doesn't make sense, but uh, that's what they chose to do. Because none of the Tiger people who would only watch what Tiger's playing are watching this event because he's not in it. So it, it really didn't make sense. Now, a couple other points. Azinger said something on, I think it was Thursday, and I texted you guys about it because it made absolutely no sense, which was that he never thought that Matsuyama could possibly win a major. What? Matsuyama was considered maybe the best player in the world who hadn't won a major. What the hell is he talking about? I understand what his point was. His point was that there was a lot of pressure on him. But he really thought because there was a lot of pressure on him from the Japanese media, he would never win a major. Did anyone really think that Hideki Matsuyama was never going to win a major? I, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone except for Azinger. On the flip side of that, though, I'll give uh, NBC credit for a couple things. Well... Uh, the first part really isn't giving them credit, but Azinger's effect is not as it, it, it's not as detrimental as it was um, at Fox because what happens with NBC, and this is what Johnny Miller did, is that it was almost like Johnny Miller was having a running conversation with Maltby and Gary Koch, and then when Faraday joined Faraday, and they would just be going back and forth on stuff. And what's kind of happened with that is. 
Azinger doesn't facilitate that as much, but what you get is you get a lot more of like Maltby and Coke and Faraday carrying a lot of the broadcast. And as a result, it minimizes Azinger a little bit. So it's actually, it's not that bad to listen to when that happens, but Azinger doesn't really add anything. I don't know what the obsession with him is. He had a good career. He's not a marquee player in the, in the likes of Nick Faldo. He wasn't a marquee name in terms of like how Ken Venturi was. And he wasn't a trailblazing talent like Johnny Miller was, who didn't quite live up to uh, his talent level. So I, I don't know. Hopefully they can replace him at some point. Um, I will give NBC credit though, for one thing, because I had never thought of this and I think I have a decent take on maybe what would work in a broadcast and what wouldn't. But to bring on uh, Bones Mackay, who was Phil Mickelson's caddy, now they have uh, John Wood, not our John, but the caddy John Wood mm-hmm. uh, involved too. You know, that was a uh, that was a very shrewd decision because if you think about it really, a caddy is almost better suited to be a golf analyst than most players because the caddy is the one that really works through the shot. Okay. Here's what you got to do. Here's where you can't miss. I like this club because if you take this um, and you execute, this will happen. And if you're a little bit off, you'll be okay. But if you take this shot and all these bad, so the, the caddies really think out the shot so they can really take you through. They're really more naturally suited than at least a lot of players. Some players are basically their own caddy, but more suited than a lot of players to really analyze the shots and what the decision-making process is and whatnot. So NBC jumped on that and CBS has not jumped on that. So CBS should look to find maybe a caddy that would be good on the air. Now what CBS will probably end up doing is remember when, um, Remember when Fox hired uh, Mike Pereira to be the rules guy sure, yeah. for uh, their football? And then who was it that CBS hired? They hired a guy. That Mike Carey, absolutely- I think. Yeah, Mike Carey. <laughs> and he was absolutely <laughs> terrible. I could see CBS like doing something like that. They just, they're sitting in a meeting somewhere. We got to have a caddy on the golf coverage. And they get some guy who just cannot for the life of him perform on the air. So <laughs> He I- got I every def- challenge wrong. Remember that? Like Mike Carey would blow yes. everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I could definitely see that happen, but uh, some credit to NBC for kind of being like, "Hey, you know what? This might work," and uh, coming up with an a, a original idea at least. Yeah, I like that. And I gotta say, John Wood specifically, I've been hearing more and more of him in the last you know couple years, and uh, he's pretty good. I, I I think his insights has been pretty solid. And John, our John. What, what, would you agree with that statement? And then on top of that, let's get your media coverage thoughts. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, him and uh, Jim McKay are definitely nice additions to the to the broadcast. And um, yeah, Mike's exactly right. I mean, they see the game differently than like a player would. And they probably have more knowledge of the game and, you know, shots that it requires and, and, and whatnot than almost a, a player would. So I completely agree. Definitely an addition. Let's get CBS to – get one of those and get rid of Dottie Pepper, you know, like she's, she's awful. We talk about her after the CBS coverage. Let's get, let's get them on for the, the MB for the CBS course reporting. Um, but yeah. Uh, so the, the coverage, yeah, we, you know, it, it said time and time and again about how lost Azinger is like, he did like, 
he didn't even know what the uh, he was calling it the web.com tour. Like you're the lead analyst for NBC. You don't even know the name of the, the, the development tour. Like it's the corn fairy tour, dumbass. Like like just little stuff like that. Just completely just completely unprepared and just shoots things off from the hip that make no sense. Like you could almost do a bingo card or a drinking game on his sayings that he shoots out there during the broadcast. Like, you know, a, a pressure could bust a pipe. I think I heard that one like three times. Like, you know, you'd be drunk by the end of the day if you, if you if you were doing a drinking game on all the stupid sayings he said. It just he doesn't add much to the broadcast at all. And I don't know why he's like the lead analyst. Um, you know, the other guys definitely do a good job. Uh, I, I I don't know like I guess they could put like Gary Coke in there, or they could put um, Faraday's fine, or they could put um, Justin Leonard's been all right from the little that I've seen from him. Um, the only other NBC guy that annoys me is Jacobson. He tries way too hard to be funny, and he is just not funny at all. Um, he's, he's just calling the golf. He's fine. He, he just he tries to be funny, and it just doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I, I do think when he was at Fox, he was they really had Azinger try to carry it, which which was not good here. You get a little bit of a break from them every few holes, which which uh, you know you, you take what you can get. But yeah, they they got to get rid of him eventually. Um, it's it's just not going to work out. Um, but in terms of the other coverage, uh, you know the the whole shuffling between networks, between you know golf then NBC back to golf back to Peacock, like a little bit annoying. But hey, like you're get you get to see literally every single shot from the first tee shot to the last putt like on friday uh friday night i'm sure i was maybe one of the only people watching at like 11 o'clock at night when um i think it was uh the grouping was like a, an amateur and ash k batia like they were the last group of the night and it was actually pretty compelling because there was no amateurs that were going to make the cut and this dude needed a par on the 18th to make the cut and be low amateur and he he, he bogeyed the 18th hole which was sucked for him um, and then uh, that guy, Batia, needed a birdie on the other side of the coin to make the cut. And he he makes it. And, you know, his dad and his family is in the crowd going crazy. So it was just cool to see, like, little stories like that. And NBC, they, you know, uh, Azinger and Hicks were on there broadcasting it like they would be broadcasting the, the Sunday afternoon coverage. So in terms of, like, actually watching golf, like, they, they gave you everything. So um, that's definitely the way that the coverage is heading hopefully for almost all events. I mean, that's what you want to see, but definitely for a major that, you know, it was wall to wall. And I think that we're going to get that for the, the open championship again, which is, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, but the downside is the featured group coverage sucked. Uh, you got like, I think one group or two groups online on the USGA app. Um, and then you got the featured holes or holes 11 through 13. So that was actually, that came in pretty handy, especially, um, you know, if you were following that big, uh, you know, when all those guys hit back nine and you really couldn't see see all the shots, like or they were being delayed on, on TV, you could, you could see it live if you were following that stream. Um, and the U.S. Open app is terrible. It's just the shot tracker is awful. Uh, you know, no one's ever going to beat the, the Masters app. Or that's the gold standard that they all have to live up to, the Masters, um, you know, app and, and coverage and website and with the – every shot live but i think the tour is, is going in that direction eventually it might take a little while but i think they're working on that but so you know all in all some good some bad um with the media coverage and um you know the nbc is going to get another crack at it in, in a month's time here with the with the open but definitely i would say better to have it back on nbc than fox i don't know about you guys there's just something when you hear that u.s open theme music from nbc it just just brings you back to like 
at least anyway, when I was, a, you know, growing up a kid, like watching the U.S. Open as a kid, like they're just, I don't know, just kind of nostalgic. And I, I just like to see it back on NBC. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. I like that they still use that music, too. So that's really cool. And then for the uh, the Open in across the pond, they use like a variant of it. So it's nice that they maintain that. Yeah, I agree. All right. So let's move ahead to the road ahead. And I think we could have some interesting events along the way. Uh, Mike, let's give it to you for what's coming up. Well, I, I would actually say uh, I'd ask John uh, to give us a little preview of the Oh, the uh, Travelers. The Travelers Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's get to John. That's a great uh, idea. It's his hometown event. Yep. All right, John. Yep. It is my hometown event. I am 10 minutes from the course. So I have uh, tickets to go on Friday. I'm very excited after last year. They did have the event last year, if you remember. It was one of the first few events coming off the COVID-19 break. Um, but obviously, there was no spectators last year. So I'd uh, be very excited to be back. Um, they're limiting the capacity to about 10,000 per day, which is good because, you know, in my, uh, my thinking, like not all 10,000 people are going to be there at one time. So I think there will be some good opportunities to get some, uh, some close-up see some reaction close up compared to um previous years and it's a great field um you know dustin johnson's here brooks kepka bryson shambo um you know and the mid-tier of players is very strong so i cannot wait to get there and and uh have, well the pairings will come out tomorrow so we'll get to see who's who's going to be there on friday got some nice tickets for the um nice courtyard spot behind the 17th green so we're gonna walk around with some groups and just kind of go out go there and just chill and, and watch them play like 15 you can you, where, where i'm stationed i'll be able to see the 15th green and then the 17th green it's like right kind of those two greens are kind of right next to each other and then the um the the patio slash courtyard state grandstands whatever however you want to say it's like right in between those two so should be fun um the course itself is one of the shorter courses on tour it's a par 70 only about 6800 yards so the key this week is going to be on um, your approach shots and putting. Uh, that's really, you know, and, and you can even see, like, there's, there's not really tailored to one, like, a long hitter or the other. Because look at the last year, the final group was Dustin Johnson and Brendan Todd. Like, you could not get more of a difference between, like, driving distance between those two players. Um, so, really, it's, it's just a, a approach course, putting course. I mean, you can see some really low rounds on here. If you guys remember Jim Furyk, shot the lowest round in the PGA Tours history of 58 on this course in 2016. Um, so, but but in terms of like the four rounds in total, you don't see like, you know, 35 under winning. It, it'll be like probably 15 or 16 under because it's, it's tough to put together like four like really good rounds on the course. It, it can be tricky in some spots, even though it's short, it, it can be tricky if you're, if you're out of play. So that's kind of what you're looking for this week. In terms of like picks or betting, um, just because of the U.S. Open fatigue, I would stay away from the top players. Like, honestly, I think uh, I might do a bet on Brooks Koepka to miss the cut. Like, I don't think he's going to give two fucks about playing this tournament, quite frankly. Um, so I, I, I think that's a, a solid wager, probably at plus odds. Uh, in terms of some guys a little bit down the board, um, I mentioned Harris English finished third, and no one really saw him. Uh, he's starting to get back into some good form. I think he would be a solid pick. Um uh, Abraham answer. He like, he loves playing at Pete Dye courses. So I think he could be, a, a, he's like extremely accurate. Um, so I think he can, he can do very well at this course. Um, 
those are those are two guys I'd look out for. Um, Ricky Fowler has been playing well. I hate to say that, but uh, he's been playing pretty well lately, and he's his odds are like seventy five to one. I think that might be worth a couple bucks to see if he can maybe pop here. But yeah, it's a really exciting uh, exciting finish. Holes fifteen through eighteen, like they wrapped around a, a lake, and then uh, you can just see some huge swings. You have a drivable par five with I'm sorry, drivable par four on the fifteenth par three over the water on 16 and then a par four around the, the that same lake on the 17th so it's a great tournament and really it's going to be the last good tournament before the open championship i mean i don't think anybody i shouldn't say anybody I, it's not going to be a good field next week at the rocket mortgage classic in detroit i think bryson will probably go because he's the defending champion but other than that not going to be great and then the john deere classic no one no one plays other than like the rank and file who basically need to try and uh try and keep their tour card so um yeah so those are the next three events coming up but yeah it, so in, in short i would not play the guys that were in contention um at the u.s open i guess paul casey too i'll mention him he'd be a, he's probably a good bet uh, i know he kind of came up short on sunday but he always plays well here at the travels he has two runner-up finishes um he, he's just his game is just suited again like very good approach play and, and you know his distance off his lack thereof of distance compared to some guys isn't going to be a um, isn't going to hold him back. So I think he's going to do very well. So yeah, that's kind of my little, little preview. And that, that covers the tournaments up until the open championship. I mean, after that, we just, you know, we have some, uh, you know, the, some tournaments in, in August and then the FedEx cup, but we're getting down to the end here of the golf season. I am looking forward to the Olympic games, actually the Olympic, uh, golf competition in uh, Japan. Uh, it's only 60 players in the field. And um, yeah, that sh that should be fun. I, I haven't seen this like a television television schedule, so I'm hoping they can somehow work it so it's on TV here in reasonable hours. And reasonable, I mean, like if it was on from like eight o'clock to like one a.m., like I will watch it. But if it's on like at you know two a.m. to five a.m., well, sorry, like um, you're not going to get me to watch the Olympic golf. But uh, you know, so I, I am hoping it's on at a uh, at a reasonable time. But yeah, that's kind of my preview of the travelers and. Um, rant about uh upcoming tournaments thanks for running that down john and you do have it sounds like you have a great vantage point for the travelers so have a great time there it should be a good tournament i'm looking forward um so mike that's pretty much that's a pretty good rundown anything you want to add as far as the next few events uh i i guess a couple things i d is actually in this field too i just went through it which is kind of interesting hmm. uh, okay. you know john maybe you'll luck out and they'll uh have that brooks kepka bryson <laughs> dechambeau <pairing. That> <laughs> i was just gonna say like i don't think the tour will do it themselves but if they get paired together on the weekend because of their scores like i'm definitely going back to or buying more tickets to go in. <laughs> just, you know or i was just telling, I was telling my dad yesterday i was like hey I think we should just yell Brooksy at, at Bryson the whole time and see if we get thrown out. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, I, I guess besides that, yeah, John's right. I mean, I, I think I referenced this on the um, <clears throat> PGA Championship recap, which I said, look, we, we have this good stretch coming up, but then after Travelers, it's dead until the Open. Um rocket mortgage that's a you know that course if they restored it to what it 
what because it's a donald ross design donald ross is an all-time great architect but that course is just it's clearly nothing like it originally was so that's a club that could really benefit from like a serious restoration to try to bring back the original design because i remember seeing it last year and be like this this course is boring as hell um then the john deere uh, you know what? That, that's actually a somewhat interesting course. Uh, it's not bad. It's a, it's a lot different than a lot of the other course. Like generally, the bomb and gouge game doesn't really work there. Um, but the thing is, like the players that really like the John Deere are now clearly past it. So um, I know Stricker really liked that tournament and Zach Johnson really liked that tournament. Strucker's in his 50s, Zach Johnson's in his mid-40s so uh, the guys who would kind of headline that in years past are not of the same caliber that they were previously so mm-hmm. that tournament's lost some juice. Um, open Championship at Royal St. George's which uh, you know we could get into what the course is like but you know with the open championship it's always just the it's always just the luck of the draw with the weather and where you fall uh when your tea time is do you get the good side of the draw the bad side of the draw so we know that's going to be the case so pretty unpredictable um yeah i'm with john that i have not seen anything about the olympic uh tv coverage when it's going to be uh in terms of the hours it's going to be on I, I will mention this, uh, even though I probably could bring it up after the Open Championship recap, which is that, um, you know, the Barracuda is that tournament that is held opposite the uh, World Golf Championship. at It was Bridgestone. Now it's uh, WGC FedEx at uh, St. Jude, which is held in August in Memphis, Tennessee. So that's some pleasant weather to play in. But anyway, um and you know, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate about the PGA moving to um, May is that I remember I, the Barracuda always had a little bit of juice because it was a West Coast tournament. They would play the Stableford scoring system. They were on this course on a mountain designed by Jack Nicholas. I think they've moved it since. So you would get these cool vistas. And then the, the caveat was that the winner of that tournament would get a shot in the uh, PGA championship. You'd get a spot. So I remember uh, 2017, there was a guy, Chris Stroud, and he won at Barracuda and then he contended and was in the mix on the final day of uh, the PGA championship. So you don't really have that um, storyline anymore. And you're kind of at a point where, you know, golf is kind of dead. I mean, if you want to watch that to see someone who is going to try to make the FedEx Cup, I guess you can do that. But that's just a little unfortunate, I guess, side note from an event that I kind of low-key enjoyed, even though it was clearly one of the more minor events that they would play uh, during the golf season. Well, I appreciate you guys bringing, breaking that down for us as we look at the near future. So you had the... I'll, okay. I'll just, I'm sorry. I'll just jump in with a couple things. I know we have a couple minutes, so... Um, I'll, I'll say my long shot, crazy, like, I don't, I don't want to say crazy, but uh, my hot take for the Open Championship, I'll put my money where my mouth is on this one. I'm going to put a few bucks on Lee Westwood to win ah. the Open Championship. I just think, again, it's so unpredictable. 
for number one. But if you look at that course, St. George's, look at the two past winners there. Darren Clark, who I think he's still partying from that win. In <laughs> yeah, a while ago, yeah. Um, like, I, don't think he, I don't think that guy had a single top 10 or top 25 <laughs> after he won that tournament. Um, but, hey, good for him. But so same kind of player. Like in, um, And then in 2003, I think it was, Ben Curtis won at St. George's. And that's when, like, I mean, I remember watching that as a as a teenager. Like, all these guys fell apart down the stretch, and you know, he won it. But so that's a that's a going to be a tough course. And I don't know, Lee's just been playing great all year, and I, I just think it's a, it's a good shot to take um, for that kind of tournament. And I, I I'm going to put a few few bucks on that for my for a hot take prediction. So that's my first thing. And my second thing is not to go back, but what did you guys think of the uh, Congaree course for the, the Palmetto Championship? I know it it actually turned out to be a pretty entertaining event. Like, it almost was a seven-man playoff there at the end of the tournament, and Derek Higo just kind of survived it, but because uh, everyone else, again, was just, like, fell apart on the on the last, last nine. Um, then you had Bo Van Pelt in there, just some, some crazy names, but I don't know. I really enjoyed that course. I, I would not be upset if they, like, I don't know what tournament they would eliminate on the schedule, but like, I would not be upset if they brought a, like a, a regular event to that course. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I'll defer to you, Mike. Yeah. I remember I talked about this briefly and I said that, um, you know, it was like uh, my understanding of the course was it was someone trying to build like an artificial pine Valley, but after seeing it, uh, actually, well, not in person, but on television, as opposed to like pictures and digital renderings of it. What's very, very impressive about that course is that it looks so natural. It basically, it remind, it was almost like a dead ringer for Pinehurst. Like if uh, the U.S. Open had been at Pinehurst this year, that would have been the absolute perfect place to go warm up. Um, and you know what was also interesting about that was they had some rain. They actually kept the course benign, but on the final day, it bit a lot of people on that back nine. I mean, Higo won basically, you know, he was, what, at 11 under, and he just managed to hang on while everyone around him imploded. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that I don't see, at least in the short term, what uh, would be replaced to make that a regular stop, but Look, the people that found that uh, founded that club, one of them was Bill McNair, who has now passed away, who owned the Titans, but apparently his son's a total idiot. But it was um, it was founded by some like high leverage, very wealthy, powerful people. And I know they want that course to have a big event, whether it's a, a president's cup or I mean, maybe you could have a Ryder Cup there if you have it in late September. But um, I definitely think we're going to see Congaree host something um something pretty significant within the next 10 years because you know the people who are the the powers that be of that club are very powerful people and it's clearly a very worthy venue the only problem is it's in the middle of nowhere in the rural south but um yeah the ownership there is definitely be going to be pushing for some sort of event and you know the course has the bones to host it that's for sure i love that guys um I think that was a nice little tangent there, uh, John. So I appreciate us digging into that because we're already kind of long on time. Actually, this is one of the shorter shows we've done um, this year. So with that in mind, we can go to final thoughts and, and Michael, give it back to you 
for your perspective on what has been a very good U.S. Open. Uh, your, your final thoughts. Well, I'll take a step back and uh, look at the golf season as a whole. And look, there's golf seasons that, listen, they, they go by and there's really nothing that stands out about them. Yeah, there might be some drama week to week. There might be some drama on a back nine uh, Sunday at a major. But you have events where um, there's just not much that lives on through history. You know, they, they fade uh, along with your memories and they, uh, they're lost to time. But this has not been one of those years. This has been a year where we've really had three significant events. The first being Matsuyama winning the uh, the Masters, excuse me, becoming the first Japanese player to win a major. And also additionally being one of the, at least at that moment in time, one of the best guys who you'd say, who's the best player to have never won a major, Matsuyama would have been up there. And then you have Phil Mickelson, which let, let's be honest, outside of Tiger Woods announcing I can play and coming back and winning at Royal St. George's, which will never happen. But uh, my point being that this year is really going to be remembered for Phil Mickelson um, being 50 years old and becoming the oldest player ever to win a major and somewhat coming out of nowhere to do it. And then no shortage of drama and no shortage of a lasting storyline from this U.S. Open, which is that John Rahm, I think a lot of people would say, if you had to list the best player to have never won a major, I think almost anyone, especially after Matsuyama had won, would have said, okay, Rahm's number one here. Unless you want to get into Lee Westwood, but then you're talking about historic form versus current form. But current form, John Rahm, without a doubt. So you've had three sort of okay, these are all significant. It's not just, you know, a, a player one. This is, okay, this was a storyline. This was something we were anticipating. This was something that we thought maybe couldn't be done in the case of Mickelson. So I think what we have to do is keep our fingers crossed and hope that we get a similar sort of storyline at Royal St. George's for the Open Championship. And if John's prediction uh, comes true and Lee Westwood at 48 years old wins the Open Championship for his first major and remedies what is the only shortcoming on his resume, that would certainly be a fitting and uh, dramatic way to end this year. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, uh, I'll root along with John for that to happen because it would be a great story. It would. He's had some near. He had a near miss in recent year, in recent years, and if he has another one, that alone would be a lot of juice. But winning it would be even it would be just amazing. So, um, I'm rooting for it too. John, let's give it to you for final thoughts. Yeah, I mean his odds would probably be like between fifty and seventy to one. I'm just gonna put a few bucks on it. I don't know. I just feel like it's worth a shot. But um, yeah, I mean the, the golf season this year, it's it's been amazing. Um, you know, there's no other way you can say it. And, I mean, if you look back on some of the years in the major winners, it just, it, you just, you just laugh compared to what we have 
and it's gotten this year. And, um, you know, certainly can't take it for granted because like, you know, it, it, it's sports. Like you can't always get a desired, you know, your desired just like dramatic outcome. Um, you know, sometimes guys like, you know, like I remember growing up, like you'd see major winners, you know, Michael Campbell and Sean McKeel and, you know, Ben Curtis, as I mentioned, like guys like that. And like, you just don't get that anymore. And now I, I can't remember honestly the last like out of nowhere, like journeyman to win a major. And, um, you know, it's, it's been great for the game of golf and just the field is just so deep right now. It's just, it just every week when you, you put it on to, to, to watch a tournament and just, you can really just, just see how good the players like really are like the hundredth best player is just, just so good right now. So um, the game's in a great spot and um, you know, we just, we hope for a, uh, a, a terrific open to, to cap off this year. And then, you know, whatever happens after that, I mean, whatever the FedEx cup is, it's going to be golf for us to watch in August. That's basically what it is. So, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing like historical or whatever. It's just, it's golf with like the best players playing in August. So we want to have a good open to, to cap off this year and um, you know, ho- hopefully we'll get that and we'll, be bringing you the uh, the analysis in about a month, Dave. I, I love now how we have three weeks in between these majors. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, it's this, I like this. This new schedule works really well for the podcast. Like we used to have this weird gap, right? Like b- between the Masters and the U.S. Open, but now that the PGA is in May, that that kind of make gives us a better rhythm. So I I agree with you, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you again. You all brought it again. Good analysis and everything else. Enjoy the rest of uh, the summer, meanwhile, and we'll see you again in a few weeks. Mike, John, thanks so much. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All the best. Well, that's that's John and Mike. Really, a lot of really good to catch up with them again, and um, not not much else I can say that I can add to that. It was a, it was a tremendous spot and a tremendous tournament, so it deserved a tremendous spot. So it worked out very well for all of us here. So I say goodnight. Uh, thanks again for, for watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast. We will resume uh, our operations hopefully next week. Junkie and I are working on a special random questions featuring our review of The Godfather, the movie that came, the, the iconic mob film that came out many, many years ago. We'll try to get that together and get that to you sometime next week. Uh, that depends on me watching the movie. Junkie's seen it already. He told me, he texted me, he saw the movie. So now it's on me. The pressure's on me. I got to make that five-foot proverbial putt to make it happen. So we'll update you there at Dick Cow and, and tell you more about it. Hopefully we'll be on the podcast here again, not before too long, with our review. So take care, everyone. If you're looking for us, we're on we're on Twitter, at Dick Cow. We're on the web at DickCow.com. And if you haven't subscribed to us by now, Search Ditkow or Dave in the City Out West. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this program tonight. Um, and if you have any other comments, just let us know as well. I, I am once again Dave Medina. On behalf of John and Mike and Andy, who's had the day off today, we want to thank you very much for your, for your participation. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>